say everything's bigger in Texas, including climate change. That's why Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world are gathering to work with titans of industry to build the technology that will reduce emissions and power a low carbon future. We sit down with those change makers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with the leaders of the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I'm Lara Cottingham, and this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're with uh, Unique Ventures. Unique Ventures is a global energy platform for technology acceleration, adoption, and commercialization. And they seek innovative technologies that transcend across the entire spectrum of the energy value chain. I'm here with uh, Amy, uh, the co-founders, Amy and Thomas Henry. Amy Henry is the CEO, and Thomas Henry is is Thomas. He's an <laughs> executive board member, but uh, I know partner in crime. Um, tell us a little bit more about um, what what it means to work with Unique Ventures. Um, I'll start off, and then Thomas can kind of join in. Um, when we started this, it was really from the entrepreneur standpoint, um, because we saw this was when Houston was at an early stage with their innovation ecosystem. You really only had Houston Technology Center and Station Houston here in Houston. And we saw, you know, really some, you know, I'll call diamonds in the rough, mm-hmm. right? And they were kind of cut, stuck on this hamster wheel. So they were being taught how to pitch to, to VCs and angels. And so they would ask, what's your recurring revenue? And they would say, well, I, I don't have any. Well, you need to go out and go get some proof of concepts and pilots. And so some of them would get maybe get those pilots with the customer if they were lucky. They weren't paid for them. Mm-hmm. And then the way the oil and gas industry traditionally wor- worked was you couldn't share the company's name. So they would tell, then go back to the investor and say, oh, I have some revenue. Well, who is it with? Well, I can't tell you, right? So they, they were caught in this quandary. So we we said, listen, is there a way that we can get some very open-minded companies? And we started with Statoil, which is now Equinor, mm-hmm. that will work with us on a more open innovation mindset, right? Maybe starting an MVP. Can we get them to pay for field trials? Keep their IP whole share results with other like-minded energy companies so that they at least have an earlier springboard of customers. So, you know, that's how we started working is, is with companies that were at the pilot, you know, close to piloting stage and we worked globally. But now I'll let Thomas take over here. And then we started working with earlier and earlier companies. So we really run the gamut in terms of maturity of these companies, all the way from a, an idea, all the way up through even Series C and Series D companies. Yeah. So again, um, without sounding to repeat uh, what uh, Amy said, uh, the focus was around pilots. Uh, again, technologies that um, helped um, companies solve a pain point. So we always started with what were the key pain points that they were looking for. So when we mapped out technologies that we were supposed to search for, it was all about, you know, the solving the pain points that the organizations were were, were looking to. And of course, initially it was very, how shall I say, oil and gas focused, but more importantly, they transitioned to the clean tech and energy type uh, solutions. One of the things that uh, I heard you pick up on is um, getting the pilot, a referenceable pilot is such a, an inflection point for an early stage company. And the the ethos in traditional energy was not to let that information be public for, for some reason, for good reasons, yeah. I'm sure. And, and part of accelerating the adoption of new technology requires you to say, I have sold it to someone and they liked it. And uh, it, it's it's an in- interesting transformation that you're helping facilitate here um, in uh, in Houston, and and I think that's great work. Um, tell us a, a little bit about, um, I guess, some of the success stories or some companies you've worked with recently, um, where uh, you've gotten through kind of your process. Okay, you go, want to start you, off? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I would say the first company we we actually everyone knows that most people know that we worked with was Ness, right? Mm-hmm. And and that was the very first company that we had publicized, and so. And I think it's a good story for people to understand all the d- dynamics that have to come into play. So Nesh was at the time, a, a, they were focusing on bot technology. 
And they were uh, two gentlemen from Schlumberger, right, who had this idea, you know, couldn't we make things a bit easier and how can we bring more talented people into energy because we all use different software and sometimes companies won't hire someone because they don't know a particular software. So we really love the concept and Equinor really liked them. Um, and so they had managed to secure some potential early funding from a Dallas um, early stage VC. But they said, okay, we'll look about investing into you, Nash. But what we'd like to see is you you come up with a paid pilot, mm-hmm. right? And at the same time, Equinor really liked the technology. And then we did a health check on them and, and a deep dive on, on you know, their whole technology roadmap. And Equinor says, I'd like to be able to run them through the first company for North America for the loop funding program, which is very similar to Shell Game Changer and Chevron Catalyst. It's a non-dilutive equity kind of grant funding for the company. Um, and if they're successful, it ends up being kind of like a royalty, mm-hmm. you know, later on in their, their you know, ramp up. Um, so they said, okay, Equinor says, I, I want to run them through the loop funding. Now, and then Hess said, well, listen, if you do that, I want to look at doing some field trials, right? So all of these three things kind of had to happen because Equinor then said also for the loop funding, we want to see you have VC money from outside the industry, which was your Dallas, mm-hmm. you know, VC. So, you know, it was pushing all of these. And then they had a series of different types of pilots with, with Hess and Equinor. Um, and then from that, you know, that validation of having those company names, they, they've gone on to, to work with um, outside of mm-hmm. energy industry. They've worked for Shell. They've done stuff for Bassif. I mean, I can't name all the companies they've, they've worked with now. You're talking 15 to 20 companies. Mm-hmm. So that really was – and then they've raised additional funding successfully since then. So it's, it provided that early springboard um, of having both Equinor and Hess and others, you know, investing money validating it through POCs. They did joint white papers that were published to the industry. So I think they're a great, you know, one that we can share that everyone kind of can understand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, not all of it is like successful, like what we consider as Nash, because from a digital uh, technology point of view, it's easier to develop the field trials and, and and what we call the business case. But for the hard science, correct, hard science type technologies, uh, to test the technology, you really need to develop the business case within what we call the asset team. Because again, hard science technologies needs to be implemented within the asset itself. And that requires a lot of, how shall I say, various stakeholders being involved. And it's not a clear forward, um, how shall I say, submission of, of I'll be doing the pilot so we got a lot of the companies up to the business case, but then implementing and getting the pilots was much harder than we thought because it was actually, you know, um, impinging on their operations, safety, mm-hmm. and and that could be a hurdle that, you know, maybe need to circumvent somehow. So I'll, I'll just quickly, there's different things. So when we talk about piloting real quick, you know, and we even have this <clears> discussion <throat> with operators is how do you get away from this, uh, I guess, old standard view of piloting. What does that mean exactly? So sometimes we we would do a health check and kind of a quick due diligence on the company, but then we would refer, we said, well, maybe upstream's not the best place to start. Sometimes they may be referred to uh, industry association, like for with Hess, it was an iPipe association. We work with utility-backed accelerators um, where we believe their, their traction would start a lot faster and they can start pilots there. We keep them in view correct? Um, during COVID, we did several bench trials, right, with, with companies. Um, and then there's other ones where we've just completely broken up their, their stack, their technology stack, and tested different aspects. So it's, it's not the traditional, I'm, I'm going out and I'm, I'm doing a, a, a field trial for one company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So the, the, the intent is to actually define what your business case. Very often, Startups can be dogmatic about what their technology is able to solve and not actually pivot when and where it's required. So um, what we try to do is actually open up the entire horizon. So if, if let's say, for example, if you're looking at one vertical like the oil, uh, oil and gas or the energy vertical, you know, what, what other verticals can you actually implement your technology in? And that's a discussion that you need with people who have got experience that you know, span the entire spectrum. And, and that provides the help in, in, in getting parallel pilots. So this is really interesting to me because I have heard from lots of startups that pilots are the number one challenge facing right now. 
And that sounds like this is exactly what we need here in Houston because our ecosystem is different and it's growing and it has to grow really fast because we are facing a global challenge. Mm -hmm. And you guys say you are a first of its kind global energy venture builder. Your name, unique, right? Um, explain to me what you guys do that is different. Like, are you a fund? Are you like, what is it that differentiates you and the companies that you look for and how you are helping them? This is always a, a good question. I, I'll go to something. I had to de develop uh, some collaterals actually a few weeks ago for another major energy company. And so I've been working with this company and, um, and she, she said, you've really helped me, a founder. And so she was calling us the energy whispers, right? And I thought it was so funny. But I said, it's, it, it really is true because we, we work on both sides of the equation, right? Both from the entrepreneur, but we also work with the energy companies, right? So energy companies obviously are looking in it. We work with them every year. What's the global technology? So we're not looking for technologies that Amy and Thomas think are good, it's a collectively, as an industry, these are the areas that they're focusing on, on technologies. Now, some maybe agree and focus on hydrogen together. Others may say, no, we want you to kind of work with a standalone. Now, today, a lot of times when we're working with these energy companies, they're coming with more earlier stage funding, right? So it's really looking and working with, the, you know, identifying these companies, are they right fit, you know, along with our energy companies, assessing a snapshot of where they're at. Um, and then if they like it, then we will we'll either do this with them or we'll do it as a standalone basis, that due diligence process. And that report is then provided to both. And then the, the energy company then will run that up through their investment uh, committee. Now, on the other hand, I also am very big advocate and champion about early stage investing. So I sit on the board of TAI, which is the Indus Entrepreneurs Network, and that's a nonprofit and it's a global organization. We're in 16 countries. Mm -hmm. Some of our chapters have VCs um, and some do not. So I work both in Houston and Dallas. So we look at this as not only do we provide early stage investing, at least for Houston, we'll sign safe notes. We don't set up hurdles because also part of our mission is uh, how do we create the, that future pathways for future entrepreneurs? We look for to see in our community, is there any value that we can have? Because a lot of our community are either entrepreneurs or the retired professionals linked to various industries, right? So how can we help accelerate these companies at the same time providing them seed, seed early seed capital? So that's another way. So we are working more globally as a tie, we also I also sit along with Houston Angel Network, mm -hmm. and we're getting more and more I'll say regional collaboration and cooperation with other angel groups coming from California, kind of Southwest New Mexico all the way down down to the southern area that we have. So it takes a lot of skill sets, but how do you find the right early stage investor for the this company based on what they want to do? How do you find the right energy partner, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, and, and sometimes they're running parallel strategies. They might want to tackle the energy industry and they maybe would tackle the, the manufacturing industry at the same time. So how do we work both ends of that spectrum? And I'll let Thomas. So it's a little bit like matchmaking, maybe, right? Yeah, you're, but yeah, but yeah, you're, but you're yeah. also working with them, kind of rolling up the sleeves mm -hmm. and, and working in the trenches with them. Yeah. I want to come back to a point where you mentioned about, you know, there is a lack of, how shall I say, unity across the energy players in, in, in trying to say, hey, I've tried a pilot, come and share, correct? So when we initially formed Unique Ventures and formed this alliance, I mean, it was not a cup of tea for all companies, correct? Where they felt that competition meant um, I need to curtail what people see and what I'm trying versus some who has got very wide mindset. So I still like to quote what Rob Fast, uh, who's, who's the CTO for, um, for Hess, and he said, a rising tide raises all ships. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, this so-called uh, alliance and sharing of technologies requires a very different mindset coming out from what we call chief technology officers, because you know it, the, the competition is not in trying to understand what the technology does for you, but in the application of the technology, because every organization will need to fill a gap, which is very different. So your competitive edge 
it's not knowing about the technology, but it's about the application of the technology. So again, that was kind of important when we set up uh, Unique Ventures. Well, and I think just recently, and I think we haven't really talked about this publicly a lot, um, just because it's still in infancy stages, because we are from the industry. You know, most of us have 30, some some 40 years of experience. <laughs> um, but, and because we wear both hats, we've got the DNA from the energy, right? We also understand and, and know what it's like to walk in the shoes of the entrepreneurs. So in, in, from an energy company perspective, we are in essence, at, let's think of it, easiest way to explain to people is an extension mm-hmm. of the company. Um, and then, you know, they're looking to how do I do things differently? How can I learn from others? You know, how do you reduce that internal bias? So, you know, we are now, we were throwing ideas last year. You know, we did a, a close round our table amongst all the, a lot of the large players and a lot of energy companies people know. People were very open and talked about their challenges. Of course, we know a lot what, what they are, right? But are they it, are they in the mindset to really tackle these? So one that we're we're looking at is is technology adoption. So is there a way that that we can create a, a new model in which we can, amongst a smaller subset of companies, get their custom requirements up front, but then they have to let it go. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 like funding a field trial or a POC. But it's very direct. And so we take all of those collective user requirements from, the, from an energy company instead of an entrepreneur going to each one in a parallel process. Then we design a more collective right, um, pilot or validation, and they may look at different aspects of the technology. And then we, as kind of the management of this technology validation, then we bring everyone together and discuss it instead of them going internally to each company. And that that adoption period, for some at a minimum, extends that adoption within their own companies by two to three years. Mm -hmm. Then if you take hard tech, right, it's probably more like four to five years. I think this is something I I did not appreciate about the energy industry until I came to Houston was um, how collaborative it is on a technical level. Because in in many ways, there are a lot of challenges that are hard uh, in the field. But a lot of the companies have very similar challenges, and they come together and share in a, in a relatively public or private way in yeah. terms of the roundtable. Um, these are the challenges we're facing. This is kind of the rank order of what we need to address. Um, and I didn't appreciate that until I went to the SPE conferences and OTC and and looking at uh, joint industry programs. This is the thing the industry industry does well because we have to do big stuff. And I don't think it's necessarily obvious to innovators on the coasts that there are mechanisms for the technologists to come together and say, this is what we need. And then you guys have, have pulled this together and said, okay, now let's go find the technologies that, that solve that need in, in a very deliberate way because you are, you are looking in, out there. And I see you guys out there uh, meeting the founders uh, in and around Houston. And so it, th- there's some pieces of this that have been built up in the way the energy industry works, but it, I appreciate the unique twist you've brought in to really go out and deliberately identify the technologists and and not just find them, but do a health check and prepare them to really engage with these big corporates. Yeah. And, and sometimes we actually have to tell them the truth. I mean, you know, so we'll see a few companies that are in the same space and then we'll say, oh my God, this is, could be a unicorn if we take slice A mixed with slice D of this company and slice C. And then we, in fact, actually try to make these collisions work and actually have the CEOs talk to each other and say, hey, can you you know, look and joining forces and, and trying to develop um, this technology and, 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 and present that as your so-called base case of, of, of value proposition, correct, to, 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 the startup, to, to the oil gas. Yeah, I just want to kind of tag on that. Mm-hmm. And I think it talks about our Houston ecosystem and innovation system that, that is, I call it, in, in the early, talk of maturation cycle. It's, we're at the very early stage. And a lot of people like to, to say that, okay, by us having these innovation systems that, you know, in different pockets around town, that it's going to create collisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I think it's a great way for people to know about one another. It's a great way to develop that that network, you know, and interaction. And I've talked even with TMC about this on the medical side, because really energy is really more like biotech these mm-hmm. days, really about our lifeblood. And, and they say the same thing. We have to force these collisions. Mm-hmm. Right. They just don't naturally come. 
Yeah, there's a few exceptions to that where you you have, you know, entrepreneurs that are like serial connectors and, and very collaborative and they may meet one another and they may be able to just spot it right away and just naturally come together. Um, they're like the one percent. Mm -hmm. Right. All the other ones have to be kind of kind of pushed together yeah. and and talk about what they don't see because when you're in your tech and building this out you know this you're very you know deep and looking at what you're trying to do you're not worried about everyone else you know that's out there but it's funny we were talking about this a little bit just a little while ago um like the difference between being an introvert and an extrovert in this industry and the serial networkers right the folks that are just at it all the time mm -hmm. and that's a full-time job right? I am a introvert and I see those people and I'm like just exhausted looking at them. And then in um, for a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of founders that are in the tech, right? Like they live and they breathe in their spreadsheets, in their computers, in their labs and getting out in front of people is also exhausting and, and challenging because they're so focused on what they're doing, which is changing the way we make energy, yeah. right? So we need folks like you help making those collisions. Um, making it easier for them, but then also is are collisions enough, no. right? Like, and collisions that's at best what managed chaos, right? <laughs> so things might miss when you're when you're just throwing things back and forth. Yeah, and I and I, I really thought about this, and it really was earlier this year because um, I kept on saying, why does everyone say energy companies aren't innovative, right? And of course, a lot of the technologies we look for outside of the energy industry, right? Is is we look for that connectivity. An application, especially when you talk about, you know, clean energy and, and, and what, what the whole world needs. But, you know, after taking a step back and saying, OK, really, it's, it's fair, right? Um, you know, I would say energy are, are great technology development, right? OK, and that's long lead. And, and energy has been innovative in, in coming up with new ways of doing things. But it's that lead time. And there's lots mm -hmm. of reasons why. From an HSC, you've got management change, you know, many, many reasons. Um, now, innovators, right, are a different mindset. And so now you're asking the energy to become rapid innovators, mm -hmm. right? And those are completely different mindsets. And, and in some of the things you're talking about, I think we're also then, all of us are, innovators are one type of, you know, these are very deep tech. They're, these are the generation. That, most innovators are not entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They aren't. There's very few people that can do both. And so the question is, are we asking this new breed and new generation of innovators and entrepreneurs to do too much? I mean, I think we are. You've got to be great at a connector, right? You've got to be great at continually and rapidly developing your tech. You've got to develop all of these relationships with your customers. Now you've got to be an expert at storytelling, right? Because to get investment dollars, you have to be able to be a great storyteller. 99% of people are terrible at storytelling, <laughs> right? That's not what that's not what they're doing, what they're doing. And, you know, we're expecting to do all of these things. Now you have to be a policy expert as well. And you've yeah. stuff is changing expert, right? every single and day and you're getting all of these questions. And, and in fact, we have actually advised companies where the uh, CEO was actually the inventor or the, the, the main founder, correct? And then say, you, you probably need to be a CTO at best and 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 let somebody else take a CEO role where he is able to concentrate on everything that that matters correct the storytelling um and uh, sometimes it's hard i mean they, they they because they don't want to relinquish their baby and and say hey you know let somebody else take care of it somebody yeah. from external and and even CTO sometimes is a marketing role yeah right as, as much right. as it is a technology development role and not Absolutely. everyone appreciates that, and, that and, shift you have to make. That's right. And and very often, you know, because they become so using the same word dogmatic about their technology, it's it's they think that it's only solving an X rather than, you know, a three-dimensional problem. So mm -hmm. um to get them to be comfortable outside the box, you know, they say, Well, I don't know whether I'm a platform technology or whether I'm a one type technology so getting them comfortable is also um because most of them are from, with phds and and i have a different mindset i want to go back to something that you said amy about is the energy industry innovative or not and you said you thought about this and i know that um, i want to say yes it is mm -hmm. but then i also find myself saying no it's not or it's definitely not 
as innovative as it should be, as fast as it should be. But then you go back and you think about when we talk about energy and the companies that we're talking about and the size that they are, they're enormous, that energy is something that we often think about as just like a light switch and we turn on and off and it is, it, it has to be there. It is too big to fail in a lot of ways. But then we're talking about new technology that's disruptive and pilots especially most pilots fail, mm -hmm. right? We want them to fail. Otherwise, you don't go no. through the iterative process. And I think that goes back to that challenge of you've got the biggest companies on the planet sometimes that are so incredibly risk averse because they are supposed to be providing something that is incredibly safe and incredibly reliable. How do you see the companies like balancing that out? Like, How do you get companies that shouldn't be failing purposely trying things, telling them we know this might not work. I mean, Shell Game Changer is one very good example, correct? I mean, yeah. you work with Shell Technology Ventures and I've been involved with Shell Game Changer. I mean, they had that, how shall I say, DNA of innovation a, a long time and Shell Game Changer started, um, what, 20, 30 years back? About 20, um, 30. And it was, yeah. people don't know, this was co-developed with Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So if a lot of people don't know the story. So this was not internally developed within energy. And the show, I think, was at that time, right, was really insightful and say, you know, we're great at internal innovation, but how do we bring external within yeah. and then build that DNA in our people? Yeah. And, 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 and if you think about it, I mean, how they go about actually providing the, the, the funding mm -hmm. for technologies that are so varied, correct, everything from new energies to uh, the typical traditional oil and gas. But again, the implementation and the pilot requires a lot of, shall I say, um, uh, due diligence, correct? Because the amount of capital expenditure, like you say, safety involved in implementing a certain technology, it's not straightforward, correct? I mean, it is a, a tortuous path. Um, and that's where people might, might, might think, oh, it's such a long time to adopt. No, because they are operating in a different type of uh, realm uh, yeah. as opposed to. Well, and yeah. And I think I think it's also telling people, OK, listen, energy companies are not early adopters. OK, let's just mm -hmm. let's, we need to, to kind of stop kidding ourselves. Um, and sometimes we have questions on velocity. Right. But we, again, we just keep on having this, some of the same discussions. Your velocity is only good as your uptake and your uptake takes a really long time. So also the conversation of under, getting more energy comes understand really the um, the life of these companies unless they get early stage capital mm -hmm. right you can't come back seven months later and say oh I'm interested now right I've had time internally okay so so people may not know I mean the average uh, energy company it takes twenty nine to thirty touch point conversations mm -hmm. at a minimum internally to discuss a technology. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's how do they move faster because these companies are going to die. So my concern is, number one, we're going to see some really good ideas die off because of this. Um, I think, secondly, majority of these companies are not going to come from energy. So if we don't figure out a better way to, to work this, this issue, um, they are naturally going to go and build out another verticals, mm -hmm. right? So it's... And they need to have their footprint to a certain extent on what they need from those technologies. So that's only going to extend. So I think beginning of this year, I think the IEA said we were only on point for the technology development that we needed to do. If you looked at that time, I think COP26 was like 2%. Yeah. I mean, that's how far behind we are. So, yeah. So, so as we talk about, uh, touch on climate a little bit, mm -hmm. it's getting more complicated because I assume carbon is now entering the calculus. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and hearing from your partners. And we'll direct Do you, you. feel yeah. like, you know, we just we just finished mm -hmm. COP27. Yes. Um, is the impact of climate change pushing the companies you work with forward? Well, I mean, I think I think for the IOCs, so integrated oil companies, you know, the names everyone knows, your, your Shells, your BPs, uh, Exxon, Chevron. So, I mean, I started Shell in probably the mid '90s. I mean, and I and I think we, as an industry, have done really bad mm -hmm. job at engaging and talking about our business. So, we were measuring carbon intensity in our capital allocation the way we did this at Shell back in the '90s, mm -hmm. right? 
So GHG emissions were measured. Of course, we determine many different facets of what, how we invest, but that was one big point is we looked at what is our carbon footprint and how we measure this amongst all the projects and all the activities as Shell is a, a global company undertaking. So I, I think it's more bringing that up to the forefront mm -hmm. and then how do you get other, have that discussion throughout the whole entire value chain. Um, and now you, you have companies like Baker Hughes, they've set up Baker Hughes New Frontiers, mm -hmm. which their sole focus is on technology and innovation and actually providing some early stage investment dollars um, into hydrogen, carbon capture, yep. and other areas. And looking at, they're not looking to, to build and breed other Baker Hughes companies, but how do we help and participate in, in this? Yeah, for these new markets that are going to be developed. Yeah. No, uh, what we see from, from the startups, so there is a bit more engagement, correct? I mean, um, as, as you mentioned, Unique, when we first started, it was mainly focused on oil and gas and then very quickly um, energy transition and, you know, ESG has become the, what we call the transitory point between the typical oil and gas ESG focus and then energy uh, transition, correct, hydrogen and CCUS and the likes. Um, so where the focus right now is actually ensuring we have got a good ESG uh, platform because that is the low-hanging fruit. If you want to talk about carbon capture, you want to talk about reduction of the carbon footprint, ESG is the, the, the lowest hanging fruit. So the focus has been on that. So if you take a look at all the startups, they're very interesting that their slide deck all starts off with, we can reduce carbon footprint. I mean, okay, hold on. What are you what are you selling again? <laughs> you know, but it, it's again, it's a good way of getting them to think about how exactly their technology will reduce carbon footprint. So with that, um, how shall I say, mindset um, within the startups, uh, thinking about that, that helps quite a bit. Well, I, and I think just, this happened just probably about two, maybe three weeks ago. I was at a, an energy council kind of a capital event. And um, I'd like to go and hear what some of the mid caps are doing because people, some people, they're highly backed by PE and capital markets. So they're also feeling the pressure, right? Because even some of their financiers have, have, have dropped them and they've had to find, you know, new backing and from all of these, these pressures. Um, but I really, and I always like to listen to, to Toby Rice from EQT. I mean, you know, and a lot of veterans, you know, find him a very dynamic person. But I think, you know, one important thing that he, he, he said, which, you know, and, and I brought this up to Canada when I was up at Canada. I said, you know, I know Canada feels like they're more advanced than, than the U.S. is on some of these things. But I said, we have our mid-caps. We had Toby Rice's leadership saying we need to start looking beyond our borders when we talk about our industry, which is really the first time, you know, that I've really heard them say this, right? And then at the same time, which I thought was very interesting, and, on, and we're talking about scope one and two, and, you know, everyone said it's, it's a necessity, but really looking beyond scope three and really focusing on scope four, what are we, we doing to, to create avoidance, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think you see a lot of the, the mid-cap operators really stepping up to the game, right? And um, I think, you know, looking beyond our borders, looking at this from a more global context is very refreshing. So I, I think they get this. And I think, you know, you're going to hear more uh, forward, you know, engagement, you know, with the broader community going forward. Yeah. So to go the other direction, you get a, a little more local. What are you most proud of in terms of the Houston innovation ecosystem today? Um, I think for me, it's the establishment of um, organizations like, you know, presence of Greentown Labs, the ION, you know, um, RISE does a really good job with the uh, so-called um, cohorts and the carbon, which is just started. I think all of that is, is needed. Mm -hmm. um, I would like to see more um, involvement from what we call the international oil companies. Um, what we have not seen in Houston actually is the presence of utility type uh, companies getting involved because a lot of the technologies we look at is actually focused on lower hanging fruits where you talk about solar, you talk about batteries, you know, you need to get them involved because very often the IOCs, you know, 
there is very limited span of um, how shall I say involvement in that. Um, but the utility needs to buck up, and we have not seen much in in, in terms of utility players. Uh, no, I think, and I think that that's the lack you know lack thereof. And this talks about how do you drive those conversations throughout that whole value chain, right? Not just upstream, not the midstream you know, downstream all the way through the utility. So, you know, I, I think um, we would like to see more utility engagement. Um, I think it's great that people are sponsoring and actually being visible and sponsoring the, the development and planting those seeds, right? I think that's one piece, but the other piece that's deeply needed is active participation, right? Really putting skin in the game, mm -hmm. really. It's one thing to have hold office hours and chat with a, a startup, but what are you, do, you know, trying to do to kind of help them? You, maybe you don't have to do anything, but how can you connect them with someone that might be able to, to take them to that next step of what, what they're looking mm -hmm. for? So I agree with you completely that we need more utility players because just about every startup in Houston has a utility component at some yeah. point in time. And that um, the Texas utility um, grid and regulatory structure is incredibly complex. And average startup doesn't have that level of expertise on top of their techno technological expertise. Mm -hmm. And so um, they need like a Sherpa to help mm -hmm. understand um, how and where to go. And we, we, don't, we don't necessarily have that yet right now. But also I think, or I see it as kind of traditional energy, you have oil and gas, and then you have electricity, and they they don't necessarily really talk together, although they are connected. And that as climate and the energy transition moves forward, you see the electrification of everything. That buildings start being electricity, trans uh, transportation starts being electric, and so it needs to be less siloed. You need to have all of the companies coming together. But I I don't I I see that from a like. If you were to write a children's book about energy in the future, it, it sounds quite simple. And you're like, oh, everything's connected and everything just plugs in. But you have historic and huge companies getting them to actually work together is much more complicated. Yeah. Well, so, and I think it's how, deciding kind of what, what is the right business model. Mm. You know, it, this looks at your energy distribution and your energy management, right? So, you know, for some of these these companies, you know, even Baker, Shell, all the major you know players you can think of are interested in these technologies, right? Um, but then their business models for some of these companies will be via a PPA, a purchase power agreement. Well, mm -hmm. that has to do deal with the utility industry. But across that value chain, we really need to start looking at, is that the right business model and agreement, right, for that whole end-to-end -end system and where those new markets are going to be developed. Yeah. So in some ways, they're, they're developing their business with a business and commercial model that may not be the mm -hmm. right mechanism, mm -hmm. right? And that's going to have to be a lot of rework. Yeah, Amy, you might want to talk to them about uh, one of the companies that we're helping, you know, Electric Fish, uh, in getting traction and EV charging company and trying to get pilots or trying to get traction within Texas. Just, just... Yeah, I mean, most people saw them. I met them at NREL. So you have to really work early. So, you know, NREL has, a, it's one of the government labs, but it's also, a, you know, Shell's been investing there. Chevron's got their venture studios there. It's an industry growth forum. So I mentored them and worked with them. And then we further worked with them through our Energy Next program. But everyone, everyone saw them. They thought EV, but they were an energy distribution company, yeah. really, truly in the day. So, you know, it could be as, as, as they're developing, you know, a, a charging station within your neighborhood, right? How do, it's, it's almost a microgrid mm -hmm. concept. Um, so they, they've gone through all sorts of great tech stars um, and uh, at least seeing a few others. But now they've got some pilots now with, I believe, up and coming Equinor and BP. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it's, um, and I also think that they're, they're associated with Greentown Labs now too as yeah. well. So that is one of the companies that we've been working with. And in fact, they would not have got the exposure to the oil and gas type players if they did not go through our Energy Next program. But more importantly, trying to navigate, like you mentioned about, you know, the the Texas where, you know, you need that, that, that support system and you need the utility to be part of the solution of trying to get new technology implemented. 
they might be able to provide that field trials and the testing base. Oh, so this will bring it. This will make it local and and thing. And now you reminded me what they said. So they're very young, right? These mm-hmm. are these are young entrepreneurs, and they they call me up and they said we were reading this stuff about Texas because you know they have this Silicon Valley, this you know this Texas oil and gas view. Maybe we shouldn't have not not applied to the Rice Clean Tech Accelerator, turned it down. We understand like this is going to be a huge hydrogen hub. And I'm like, where have you guys been? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, they do trips down to, to Houston. They have conversations with their energy companies. I said, yes, of course it is. Right. So it's how do you break down some of these barriers? Mm-hmm. Right. When you have, you know, technology being de- developed, right, more outside of Texas. We're not there yet to really get, you know, have a lot of these innovators in Texas yet, let alone Houston. But, you know, they're, they're missing out on some of this dialogue that's happening with a, I said, you know, you've heard about those billions of dollars of this, these hydrogen hubs that are going to be set up down there. Oh yeah. We just found out about it. Right. (laughs) So somehow that messaging is not getting out there. Absolutely. And that is part of why we are here today because, um, there is this like, um, skepticism Mm -hmm. a lot of times about Houston and about Texas and about climate and energy transition. And is it real and is it happening? And some folks say, I just don't want to, I don't want to deal with it, right? There are other places we can go. And if we only put clean technology in certain parts of the country, we will never meet our goals. There's a huge equity issue there, right? And Texas, you know, we are the energy capital of the world. We need those uh, young minds and new ideas here to help spark innovation within the companies that we have, which you guys know, because this is what you're doing every day. Um, and I'm super curious because you are talking about taking EV companies and like climate tech and partnering them, like introducing them to fossil fuel companies. So a lot of folks think that would just be, can never happen, um, but but that has to happen, right? Like talk about that and why to those folks that were in, I'm gonna assume Silicon Valley, California, like, why is that a benefit in this case? I'll let you get off this time. Okay, really? <laughs> okay. Um, so why is the benefit? I mean, again, it's we, we take it for granted, correct? I mean, that it, it has to happen. But for, for us, um, we see it as um, a natural. I mean, mm-hmm. because we have been involved with the whole value chain, everything from what we call the oil production through to the utility. So for us, it was a natural um, fit to understand where they are coming from and mm. basically placing them. In the yeah, I'll space. give an example. Because people don't really, you know, some may not, you know, have the long history and understanding of, of I'll say, you know, the, the majors or integrated oil companies. Um, so when I was with Shell, this is back in 2004, 2005, we had renewables portfolio. We mm-hmm. had solar. We had wind. We had all of this, right? Um, and on a continual basis, Shell and others, you know, they partner and work with companies like uh, a Mitsubishi. Well, that's a car manufacturing company, mm-hmm. right? Because in, in the long game, as you look at, you know, things like LNG and floating LNG, you have to look at for these commodities and different ways of of how they're handled, right? How do you transport them, right? If I want to ship it or if, I, if I'm making liquefied natural gas, how, you know, and I need, I might need a regas terminal facility. This is heavy infrastructure and transportation. Um, and so they have to work from shipping with ship companies. They have to work with auto manufacturers because what's going to happen is whatever that product that that's, that's going to be developed or used has to be built within the infrastructure of like a car. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think people's viewpoint is, oh, OK, you just produce oil and gas. You know, somehow I, I it gets processed. It goes to market. I get it. I fill my car up. Right. But I think, you know, and I even talk about more. We need to talk broader, like even like energy poverty. Right. Mm-hmm. To really get people to fully understand what do we mean when we say energy? The touch points is everywhere from your roads. Right the asphalt, mm-hmm. right? It goes to the schools and that are built in education. You know, we have universities saying, well, how do I develop my workforce? What kind of workforce does energy need me to build for the future? So this is just so wide. And I think people just have this, you know, certain kind of siloed viewpoint of what oil and gas companies are and do. 
And I think once you you kind of get them to to have a bit of a collision and connect, then that kind of widens that understanding of where their technology could be applied. And it, and it actually can accelerate, especially for some of these companies that are mission-based, right? They're very mission-based companies. Yeah, I mean, that's why I said, I mean, it's second nature to us because we have been in the system for such a long time. But is it something that needs to happen in Houston ecosystem, like a mm-hmm. almost like a re-education? You know, um, so there are many different pockets, correct? You have the Greater Houston Partnership that is part of energy transition. And then you've got the Climate Action Plan that is part of the Houston mayors. And then you've got, I think Harris County has got an, another climate action. So all of them have got pockets of knowledge, but do they actually sing from the same song sheet? And and advertising and, and, and getting the message across uh, is required. I mean, like you said, not many people know the hydrogen hub and and mm-hmm. Houston is center of uh, energy excellence, correct? Yeah. What I want Getting to say. folks to sing at all that <laughs> was a battle. Getting yeah. them to sing together, you yeah. know, it's happening. But is is it happening as as fast as possible? And what I think is really important, and you guys talked about this, is that um you you can't leave players out, right? That everybody has to do as much as they can as fast as they can. And absolutely, there is an argument to say, are the oil and gas companies doing as much as they can, as fast as they can. But also everybody has a role to play. And to the folks that are in other parts of the country that say, I'm not coming, I wouldn't come to Houston, or maybe I should have applied, right? Um, That there is so much opportunity here and that there are people like y'all working to make these things happen is so important. Well, I think there's one key thing we we, we really don't talk about enough. I mean, mean, people do talk about it, but, you know, even from a shell and shell game chamber, we used to say kind of necessity is the mother of innovation, right? Mm. So you really don't innovate until and push things until you're really forced to. But I think another big driver is going to be the change in workforce, which is going to be happening in 2025. So when I spoke at OTC, they asked us to do polls and to see who in the audience knew about this big workforce change. Very few people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's going to be a maybe major. Your baby boomers are going to be like 3%. Yep. Right. This is going to be a, like 60, 70 percent of your Gen, Gen Y, Gen Z, your millennials. Um, and that is going to be a driving force. Um, number, But the other aspect to it. So, so they're very pro innovation. They're ready to try new things. They're also the, potentially the new group of innovators, too, that mm-hmm. this this country is uh-huh. going to have. But at the same time, you have to worry about knowledge management. Right. And leaving these companies. So you still need who's going to be help infusing some of this, this knowledge and kind of framework for these younger people. Mm. Yeah, I, I would love to double click into that, except that we're running low on time. And, and I think uh, importantly, um, how do potential partners find you? And then how do you do you find startups or the startups find you? Uh, so actually, uh, the hard work is we we actually go out and find startups. Uh, so I'm part of the Israel um, Mass Challenge mentor. Um, so I'm become a mentor for the Rice, a mentor for uh, um, what do you call it, uh, generator. Um, so we put our feelers out, and and it's not just locally; it's international. So I try to attend all the various um, events. And, and look for technology. So if you take a look at our um, the bridges that we have built, correct? We have built the technology bridge with Canada, built it with France. We helped uh, Business France screen through companies and bring companies over here. Um, we have got a bridge with Israel, uh, Israel Innovation Authority. And where else, Amy, if I'm mistaken? Um, Norway. Uh, Norway, yes, mm-hmm. exactly, Norway. <laughs> but uh, sadly, uh, do you know that the Nor- Norwegian consulate is closing? I was going to talk about this. Okay, so I attended uh, last week uh, an event, and I was telling Hilda why they're closing. She said, I know why they're closing. Well, I I know now, but I don't know whether we need to edit it or <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, the reason. I mean, it just, it just didn't feel comfortable with mm-hmm. um, Houston. So they saw, they saw Houston as, you know, we do all in gas in our backyard. Are we really serious about energy transition? Mm-hmm. So something like that, you know, is, you know, so are we advertising, right? I enough? think that's that's a huge... Um, moment that all of Houston should look at because yeah. Norway is such a partner. They literally are my my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the folks from the Norwegian 
consulate have corporate housing like literally in my apartment complex. So they oh, okay. are my neighbors. And this was a huge thing. Um, but if we think about it on an international scale, like what is the message we're putting out? And and that is why we need to be talking about things like we're talking about today. That's right. Mm -hmm. So so they may be misinformed, correct? I mean, but uh, to be fair, it, it's a lot of it is the decisions are made in Norway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have got certain, how shall I say, um, issues with Houston. And, and like I said, are we... Are we sending the right messages and, and, and how do we attract? Well, and I, and I think uh, we work out, outside of just the energy vertical. So we mm -hmm. look, you know, we work across the country looking at med tech, biotech. I mean, the whole the whole insurance, uh, fintech, ag tech, right? We, you know. And then also, I think one key thing that Houston needs to, to also then realize as they're building this ecosystem, and this is this is a global issue with the ecosystems. Most of the companies that that we meet and actually eventually work with, a lot of them are off-grid technologies, mm -hmm. right? You won't see them in an innovation ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, trust is a big factor for them. So it's usually word of mouth through other entrepreneurs of how we find these companies. So it's it's just, you know, people know who you are. Um, your name gets passed around. So this is, I would say, where we sometimes really find the really interesting and good tech. And sometimes mm -hmm. we actually create the companies uh, where we, you know, with, 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 I'll give you a good example. So uh, Mentor Mass Challenge, they had, uh, just before COVID, they had an event. Uh, and I saw a company and I said, hey, I like your technology, but can you put it underwater? And he went back and actually did that. And he did some Sandia studies, some um, CFD, uh, computational fluid dynamic type studies. And and he came up and he said, oh, can can?" then I said, okay, why don't you fill up what we call uh, Unix uh, pitch deck on a page, correct? And we brought it to our Alliance partners and they say, oh, very interesting technology. Lovely. So, you know, if, if it, because that was that TRL zero, he's mm -hmm. just thinking about it. And he went and applied to DOE, but he we sent a, a letter on behalf of the Alliance partner saying this technology would would be adopted or would be how shall I say piloted look if it. Mm. look at it now once, and he got funding of two million dollars from DOE. You know, so so DOE also needs. I mean, they will support technologies, but they need that industry to validate the the, the, the applicability, and you know, they don't want to put money on what they call uh, um, uh, university type, you know, R&D, typical R&D, but you want to see, make sure that there's application. And so kind of a, a parting thought and what I'm hearing is industry is, is really the, the partner here for bringing technology to market. And uh, they can be a strong voice in advocating for funding, not just from themselves, but from government, from angel investors. And it's never too early to get started talking to them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, that's correct, right? And angels were that were as of Q three, they were the only group of investors who did not decrease their investment. Oh, so they held strong, um, and this is why it's kind of concerning. But you have growth capital now trying to jump over and then try to get into early stage capital. But yeah, your angel investors have pretty well held strong this year. Okay. I love it, Amy Thomas. Thank you so much. Our our own personal energy whisperers. <laughs> I, I hope you keep whispering. I hope I hope you don't have to whisper in yeah. the future. Yeah. Oh, right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks.